Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. On this podcast, we share stories and conversations around spiritual care, companionship, and contemplative practice across a diverse range of traditions and experiences. Spiritual companions support others on their spiritual journeys through life. Spiritual companions are welcoming and present with those they companion, listening and responding without judgment. And spiritual companions are contemplative and honor silence as a spiritual practice. You can learn more about our work at our website, sdiworld.org. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. Inner spiritual pioneer, Brother Wayne Teasdale wrote in his seminal book, The Mystic Heart, that daily spiritual practice is the technology of inner change. Jeff Ganung and Kate Sheehan Roach work at the intersections of digital media and technology, contemplative practice, and inner spirituality. We talk about these intersections in this episode and give a taste of what they'll be sharing as workshop presenters at our upcoming Santa Fe conference in April, which you can learn about at sdievents.org. Jeff Ganung is co-founder and president of contemplativelife.org, a nonprofit digital hub that connects people and communities with transformative practices. Kate Sheehan Roach serves as director of content for Contemplative Life, And Jeff and Kate are both facilitators of transformation365.org, an online experiential practice network. Towards the end of this episode, Jeff shares a recorded contemplative practice by the late brother Teasdale. I invite you as you listen to participate in this practice and to share the sacred space that brother Wayne offers us. Please note that there is a four minute period of silence during this space from approximately minute 44 to minute 48. Um, thank you for your time this morning, Kate and Jeff from Contemplative Life. It's, it's really good to see you. Um, we are very excited to have you coming to our conference in April 2020 in Santa Fe. Uh, and the workshop that you're leading, uh, which we can get into. Um, but so both of you run a, an organization called Contemplative Life. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about that. What, what is it and how does it work and who is it for? Um, and we'll go from there. Thanks so much, Matt. I'll give a little preamble before I turn it to Jeff because uh, he and I were involved in parallel projects for a number of years. I, I was involved with a web magazine called Contemplative Journal, and Jeff was involved with Contemplative Life. And 
um, when we were introduced by a mutual friend uh, in this interspiritual contemplative world, uh, it seemed like Jeff had gotten a hold of my notebooks and was reading them back to me over, over the Zoom meeting. And it just made perfect sense for us to join forces. And um, it's really a beautiful vision that I'd, I'd love for Jeff to share. I never get tired of listening to Jeff tell the story of contemplative life. Well, thank you. And thank you for the invitation to uh, share some of these things and to join the conference, uh, especially this conference, 30th anniversary. Uh, so it's, it's really a privilege to be there and very humbling to have an opportunity to share with other spiritual companions on the journey. Um, contemplative life, uh, essentially the mission really explains what it is. The mission is connecting people and communities with transformative practices. And the vision or the inspiration for it was really born out of personal experience. I became interested in the inner life at an early age as a result of some experiences. And that really opened up deep curiosity of what this experience of mystery is like from different frames of reference, different influences, traditions, practices. And so that curiosity set me down the path of spending time in places that share practice and teachers that share practices. Um, and as a result of that, I've always had practices in my life and I brought those practices with me throughout, you know, everything that I do, family, career. And um, in the process of that, working with really young children, working with teenagers, working with millennials, working with people that are aging or people that are dying with hospice, all around these practices, I began to realize just how diverse they are and that uh, practices exist for really every kind of person, every kind of situation. And um, in my you know, work and exposure with Brother Wayne Teasdale, the author of The Mystic Heart, where he you know, talks about interspirituality, a word that he coined in that book, which really kind of goes into the, you know, the, the essence of this merging um, of practices where in you know, this interspiritual age that we're in, people share these practices with one another and they become enriched by them. And so um, what happened is that as this uh, kind of experience developed, working with a lot of different groups and people with practices, a lot of the pioneers of the contemplative movement, a lot of the pioneers of the mindfulness movement, I began to realize that there was a, a need that was growing. Uh, there's a lot of young people that were uh, leaving organized religion in record numbers. But having worked with a lot of these young people, I realized that they're actually, it's not because they're not interested, they're deeply interested, but they're looking for something that is authentic and meaningful and experiential, which kind of lends itself to practice. But part of the problem that I was identifying is that it's so confusing for people. You know, where do you go? What do you do? What practice is right? Who's qualified to teach? And because so many of these young people have been born in kind of the digital era, they're kind of digital natives. 
So they're going to be looking for these answers, these solutions in the environment that they're familiar with, which is the digital world. At the same time that you know, that's happening, the, the mindfulness movement begins to explode, come onto the mainstream. Um, and uh, many of the people that I was you know, working with and communicating with, uh, which are practice leaders, communities of practice, I realized that they're often not really communicating with this young, diverse population of people that have this interest and this need. And you know, part of the reason is, is that they're, they're kind of not keeping up with technology, which is where these folks are kind of getting their information and representing themselves and often in, in kind of a web 1.0 way. And so the idea that was really the inspiration for contemplative life was to create a digital hub that uh, brought all these myriads of different practices and communities of practice under one umbrella so that people could go to kind of one place and on their own terms, easily navigate to find practices of interest and then to connect with others of like mind. And so it was really that that became the inspiration for uh, contemplative life. We're really serving two different groups, people that are looking for practice and community. And on the other hand, working with these practice leaders and communities of practice to help them boil down their offering to its essence and then serve it up in a way that is elegant and interactive so that people can engage them directly. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. I, <laughs> uh, there's the many ways that I, that I want to explore this with you. Um, well, let's talk about just the, the, the inner life for a second. Um, how, how do you, how do you experience the inner life or how would you define that, you know, for somebody who simply asks you what it is? Uh, you know, so when you, when you talk to young people uh, who are, who are hungry for this, I'm curious to hear from you just how, how people have talked about, like, how do you talk about that? You know, what's the elevator pitch for the, for the contemplative heart? Well, Matt, there's so many different ways. I think as many human beings there are on the planet, there are answers to that question. But one of the things I love on the contemplative life site is uh, in addressing this question, we think about what it means to have a moment of silence and how that's sort of a universal moment to reflect. And that's something that people can relate to, um, whether they're spiritual or religious or neither. And so I find that's, you know, an entry point, but it's also um, something that uh, we can think about in, in terms of remembering our childhood, remembering our inner life. We've all been, we've all been children. And if we remember, we can also think of that, think inwardly there. And then to just acknowledge that this isn't something that's rarefied or unique for any one individual, but everybody is contemplative. It's not, it's not a, it's not a club. It's something that is part of being human. And so, you know, we're very, very diverse in that way that it's, it's really a, a practice for everyone and everyone in a different way. I'd say the elevator pitch, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I'm putting my finger up to my lips <laughs> because 
the essence of it is pause, is space. And with that pause and with that space, it provides an opportunity for reflection. But reflecting upon what? Well, see, that's the great mystery. Only we can do that reflection to engage that process and discover that mystery that's inside of us. And the reason that everyone is contemplative, even though they may not know it, is because everyone has an inner life. It comes with the deal. But the way that they engage that inner life is very different for different people. And one of the things that um, has been one of the beautiful discoveries of contemplative life in exploring all these different types of practices, methodologies, communities, is the realization that there's no one size fits all. There's no panacea when it comes to practice or discovering the mystery of the inner life. It's very personal. And the right kind of practice for the right kind of person depends on who they are. How are they wired? You know, am I a heart person, a head person, or a hands person? Is my life in crisis or is it in flow? Different practices. Um, am I young? Am I old? Uh, what's my religious, cultural, spiritual upbringing? And many other things. And it changes over time. So quite literally, it requires some discernment from the individual to determine what's right. And things, you know, I, I love that you asked this question and that you phrased it around the inner life because um, there's uh, an exploration that, that I'm involved in with many other people, um, and it's this. If everyone is contemplative, and I believe that they are, because everyone has an inner life, and the, um, there's a very diverse set of type of uh, practices and experiences that can cultivate or quicken that um, inner awareness, that um, everybody right now, as they are, um, have things in their life that quicken that. So for some, it's nature. For some, it's the arts, music, poetry, artwork, uh, spirituality, spiritual practices. But if people could first begin to recognize that they have an inner life and then begin to observe and become aware of the things that they already have in their life right now that quicken that mm -hmm. and then begin to add more things like that, even if they're not formal practices yet, that that process in itself over time will lead to some type of practice. Thank you. I, I love talking with you both and listening to how approachable you make contemplative life and how accessible the the inner life is and in, in the spiritual practices that you're describing, even though each of us approaches those very singularly. So, so what are some ways that you sort of weave together community so that people can come together? How do people develop practice? Uh, how do people, you know, sort of take that, those things that quicken them and turn that into sustainable contemplative practice? And 
you know, and in a shared sense uh, that, that people can do it together. I'd love to quote one of our, uh, one of our heroes, Brother Wayne Teasdale, um, who talked about uh, how daily spiritual practice is the technology of interchange. And this idea of transformation happening, we're very aware of that when we talk about technology. Most Westerners just say, when they say technology, they, they're shortcut for digital technology. They're talking about you know, what we're using right now in, in terms of uh, video conferencing and podcasting and, and the internet and all these, these digital tools we have. But really, it's all technology. These practices are technologies. Hmm. And so it's, it's a beautiful uh, convergence of we're living in this digital age, and it's also this interspiritual age. And it's the same thing happening, whereas, you know, the, the, I see it, in fact, as the, the internet, this amazing tool of interconnectedness is really just a manifestation of what already is. We're all connected. And we're learning that from, from the sciences. We're learning that from, from uh, quantum physics. We're learning that from you know, the fact that we can be together. I'm in Philadelphia, you're in Seattle, and Jeff's in Austin, and we're in the same space together. So what we're doing at Contemplative Life is merging these technologies, taking digital technology and contemplative technology and overlaying them in such a way that we can reach people where they are literally where they are at their desks in their homes on their phones and bring them a, a buffet of practices for them to come and feast and taste and and try it out with no pressure no expectation no um, dogma or doctrine about hey we have the answers and it's not that way at all it's very much open source and open spirituality for for people who are spiritual but not religious or secular or deeply uh, deeply engaged in a tradition, we're, we're all in it together. So it, it's it's just this beautiful manifestation of really what is, and we find that as we come together, there's a there's a real sense of community that emerges around this. If we can uh, form small groups that are interested in a given question, uh, we have different uh, scientists actually working on um, looking at how evolutionary biology affects the way groups interact. I, I'm, Jeff can tell you more about that. Our, our work with pro-social is, a, is a, another manifestation of good tools being put to good use. Can I ask you, so I read, I read Brother Wayne Teasdale's book, The Mystic Heart, this summer. It was life-changing for me. I think, I mean, there, there are personal reasons, but he also speaks of the inner spiritual age Kate, which you mentioned. And I wonder if you could briefly define what, what the inner spiritual age is and, and how we are experiencing it right now. So I'll take that one up, uh, first shot at it. It's a big, big sub subject. And, you know, Kate mentioned something about evolutionary science and uh, interspirituality, which is a, a word that he actually coined in the, the mystic heart, is an evidence of this spiritual evolution that's taking place. If you look over the last 150 years of the things that have taken place, such as the Parliament of World Religions, such as uh, the Vatican II Council, 
um, such as um, more of these interspiritual or interreligious, I should say, gatherings, organizations that have sprung up like the United Religions Initiative. Um, initially, uh, most religious traditions have been compartmentalized. And what has happened in the last 150 years is some of those barriers have come down. It started with ecumenism within a tradition, uh, bringing together the different parts of the faith. And then it then began to emerge into interfaith, where the faith traditions began to become more tolerant and more understanding of one another. And then it began to evolve into interreligious, which is kind of where it's been, where the most action's been in the last 50 years, um, which is about dialogue. But then um, the next phase of this, the, the, the cutting edge, which is going to be the, the next 100 plus years, is interspiritual, where we're not just dialoguing, and we're not just accepting and understanding, we're sharing each other's practices, each other's wisdom, each other's experiences, not um, to uh, go down a different path, but to deepen and enrich our own. And so this is the essence of interspirituality, is the sharing of the mystical, the sharing of the contemplative, the sharing of the, um, the, the deep wisdom and experience that is at the heart of all of the mystery traditions. That's the essence of interspirituality. Did you know that SDI organizes travel experiences? We call these SDI journeys. SDI has been leading passionate travelers on spiritual journeys around the world for over 25 years. Not just vacations, but truly exceptional trips filled with inspiring and enriching experiences. We have upcoming journeys planned for 2020 in Iona, Scotland, and an Ignatian journey through Spain. Explore our site to find out more, sdijourneys.org. That's sdijourneys.org. And now, here's part two of our conversation. That's been my experience too, that, that this shift is happening uh, all around the globe. It's, you know, you can look back historically and see sort of watershed moments in time, you know, the era when the golden rule emerged globally. That was prior to this uh, interconnectivity we have through technology and travel. It was just where our species was developing. And we're seeing that now too, we're seeing, um, shifts that come from globalization, but it also seems to be coming from a larger place, you know, that, that our species is just ready for more. And really, um, the more we can not only just tolerate and accept one another, but really engage with one another and experience each other's practices, we realize we have, we have more in common than we, than we have different from one another. One mm -hmm. of my, one of my favorite descriptions um, comes from uh, a real leader in the interspiritual movement, uh, Matthew Wright, who is, um, gosh, he's in his early 30s. He's an Episcopal priest. He's also uh, a Sufi dervish, and he's an initiate in Veda Vedanta. So he's he's well versed in in many traditions, but primarily an Episcopal priest. 
And when people criticize him saying, how can you be more than one thing? How can you do that? Aren't you just shallow and not going, going deep if you're going to try to, you know, dabble in different religions? And he says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm digging one deep well with many different shovels. Hmm. And I love that because, again, it's tools that we use. Let's not mistake the tools or the containers for the essence that really what we have here is a, a tremendous opportunity for unifying the world and for healing the rifts that have caused so much pain and bloodshed and angst and, and separatedness even within individuals. To be able to tap into this larger unity is, um, is really, it's why we do what we do. We also see the, the, the building of the, in, the evolutionary spirituality even in um, the what Wayne describes as interspiritual, um, which he uh, says that he actually built upon the nine points of agreement that came out of the Snowmass group. So Father Thomas Keating led a 10-year <laughs> initiative of spiritual elders from different traditions that got together a couple times a year just to be with each other in practice. So contemplative gathering with no objective, not to write anything, not to accomplish anything, but to be with one another. And out of that came uh, what they distilled as the nine points of agreement, which is not easy to do to get all these different traditions and things to agree upon something like that. Yeah. And it was upon the nine points of agreement that uh, Brother Wayne um, essentially distilled the nine points uh, of universal or nine elements of universal spirituality, which are the essence of, of uh, spirituality. The other thing I'd like to say about this, you know, one deep hole, many shovels thing is if you look at, you know, Brother Wayne, he seems to be a topic of this discussion here. Um, he also had something else that happened to him that not much has been written about, but I believe in time will be looked back upon as a watershed moment. So uh, he uh, took vows under Father Bede Griffiths as a sannyasi, um, which is kind of a, a Hindu Christian. Um, and uh, in Shantivanam, India, which was the ashram that uh, Abhishekananda first founded. And then, um, Father Bede Griffiths uh, then, you know, carried on from there. Father Bede was a Benedictine, but also a sannyasi. Brother Wayne then was um, in that line, took vows as a, as a renunciate in both kind of the Hindu uh, Catholic Christian tradition. But then some years later, he took cross vows under Cardinal George of Chicago, a cardinal, um, as a Benedictine monk. And so this is very significant, a heartbeat away from uh, the, the Pope um, that, uh, you know, basically presided over his vows, and they were cross vows because he'd already taken vows earlier. This, again, is the essence of inner spirituality. He didn't um, move away from his Catholicism. He went deeper in it and was um, supported in that at the very highest level. Um, I want to ask you about uh, how that 
happens at contemplative life. You, so you talked about, obviously, you talked about technology that can, contemplation is itself a technology. And so you obviously have not, you know, shied away from using digital tools as a, as a means to bring people together uh, to do contemplative practice. And so maybe you could talk about the kinds of things that, that work or facilitate that. Um, Cause I know for a lot of people, right. There's a sort of, there's a dichotomy between, contemplative practice and you know digital technology it's sort of like you know oh we need less screens or i need to like put my phone away because it's distracting me and talk about the ways that you're thinking about how digital technology can really facilitate these contemplative practices that's my question jeff uh, how about we talk about transformation 365 is that that's one yeah that's that's a good idea that's a really beautiful organically developed community. Um, Transformation 365 is hosted at Contemplative Life, but it's really a separate entity that stems from, you know, coming together at these big events like the Parliament and Unity Earth is having these amazing gatherings. And we've all been to wonderful conferences like the one coming up in Santa Fe that are just so enriching and so life-changing and powerful. But what happens is we all go home and the work has piled up or the, the, the laundry or whatever it is that we get back to. And it's so difficult to transition. We've all had that kind of post-conference letdown, like, oh, wait, I thought I was really awakened at this conference and now I've got to deal with whatever um, back home. And we thought, you know, it's really the dailiness. It's the deep, daily, sustained practice that keeps us plugged in. It's not big... Um, I mean, we love the big gatherings. We're all about that, but but not alone. Without the dailiness of coming together and having opportunities to connect with other people, why not use these digital tools? So what we ended up doing at the beginning of 2019, we joined in with the seven days of rest and reflection, and we offered a practice for each of the first seven days of the year. And it was amazing. We just did 20-minute simple practices taught by different people from different traditions and offered them as part of the seven days of rest and reflection. And people loved it. People were all about it. We heard from SDI, we heard from URI, we, people wanted more. And mm-hmm. we thought, oh gosh, everyone else is resting and reflecting. And we're exhausted because we just put out seven practices, seven days in a row. And yeah. we realized that that was kind of, it wasn't going to be uh, sustainable, but, but, but the, the name transformation 365 came out of the idea that, yeah, there is a, there is a dailiness to this. The, the sun setting and rising each day is how humans function and we need something every day. We can't hold off till the next big event. So what we've decided to do is launch two practices a month where we, uh, we record a 20 minute session with a, with a different practice leader each time and we share them through a Facebook premiere. So they reach far and wide and then they go on to live on Facebook, but we also archive them at Transformation 365.org, where people can come and practice anytime they want, 24-7, that the practices are available, and they can, we encourage them to try it on for size. Don't just try it once. Take it for a few test drives. Try these practices for maybe a couple weeks before we launch another one. Say, oh, yeah, that one I'm going to stick with. I'm going to keep doing that, or that one maybe not. And as a result, we've developed this archive that's kind of like for lack of a better description, it's sort of like the Netflix of practice. You can come and take your pick and, wow. and engage in a practice 
at, on your own time, wherever you are. Um, you may connect with one of the practice leaders and want to funnel through to their site and take a course with them. And maybe, you know, this might become one of your primary practices. Or maybe you'll just realize you don't have to pick one. You can just practice for what, what your needs are at that moment or the needs of the world um, for their holidays. And, you know, how exciting for myself as a Christian to work with a Muslim around Ramadan and come to understand, you know, what the practices of Ramadan mean and to be able to literally practice with Imam Jamal Rahman, you know, on Transformation 365, instead of just stepping back and observing, I get to actually do that. So we're excited about that. As you can tell, we're, we're, um, we're, we're coming into our second year and, and um, we're pretty excited to develop that in new ways. That's, but that's just one. I could, I could let Jeff tell other things that we're doing. It's really amazing how many things are coming out of this initiative. Part of the challenge that we face, and this is where a lot of, you know, kind of contemplative practitioners are coming from, is so much uh, of the technology that has been designed and uh, developed uh, becomes another layer of distraction. And people don't need more distraction. They need less distraction. But I come from the tech world, um, and, but I'm also contemplative. And I realized that it's not the technology. Technology is a means. It's what's being designed and how it's being used. And so part of what we're trying to do is to um, create a bridge between these young design and engineering geniuses that know how to build stuff and how to design stuff. But from a contemplative standpoint, they don't know what to build. And then to then bring these contemplative practitioners, um, you know, the wisdom keepers, uh, the people have really done this work, which tend to be older, because this inner work takes a long time. Anybody that says otherwise may not have done much of it. <laughs> so they are going to tend to be older, but, you know, they're less likely to keep pace with technology. So what we're trying to do is to bring them together, because these people know what to build. They don't know how to build it. The young people know how to build. They don't know what to develop. And so when we bring them together, then it's the best of both worlds because then technology, rather than serving as another layer of distraction, can be a catalyst, an agent for transformation. And that's what we're trying to do. Mm. So you're not just bridging technology uh, in terms of contemplative practice and digital technology, but you're also bridging generational gaps too exactly like look like young people have this skill set and older people have this skill set and like look how these weave together in such a beautiful way that's really uh, that's really wonderful and that's that's really what we're doing for our workshop in santa fe we're yeah. calling it the here and wow because the the digital age is here and the interspiritual age is here. And all you can say is, wow, when you bring those two <laughs> together, that's, that's in our experience. And it'll be an exciting time because, you know, we, we have a, a, a format and a structure in place, but really anything can happen based on who's there in the room. We're there to, to learn from one another very much experientially and wide open to what comes next. And we're, we're riding that wave um, with all the excitement that comes from really not knowing, but doing our part to be present and to invite people 
to bring what they have to share. So whoever comes to our, our workshop, we're eager to hear what, what you have, what your experience is, and, and we're going to put it to work. Yeah, your uh, your optimism is infectious, and your <laughs> your energy and your your sort of willingness to be like, let's just play and let's experiment and see what happens. Um, I mean, it it is it manifests spiritual companionship for our times, which is you know what 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 it, here we are. It's twenty twenty. Like, what's what's going on around us, and how can we be present to that? Um, is there is there anything specific that people can expect from your workshop uh, outside of, you know, conversation, bringing their own experiences? Um, but what kinds of things are you hoping to maybe equip people with or impart as part of your offering? Well, it'll be experiential. That's for sure. It's not, we, we want people to be engaged and to actually practice with us. We can't talk about practice. We're not interested in, teachings and, and circling around the practices and, and specifically those for spiritual companions. We're, we're so excited to see what's happening at SDI. I mean, it's from, from people who aren't necessarily, you know, uh, we're, we're good friends of, of, of SDI, but uh, we're watching also as, as uh, companions to the companions is sort of how we see ourselves. Yeah. And it's exciting. There's there's equally infectious energy coming out of SDI with people who are, um, you know, they've been doing this for 30 years. They've been going into this deep listening space, which is the contemplative arena. That's that is a contemplative moment every time a spiritual companion uh, comes alongside another another person. So I think what we'll be looking for is ways to engage spiritual technologies and digital technologies in ways that really support this bridging of the divide between, between different religions, between different uh, demographics, between the, the, uh, the wisdom keepers, as Jeff calls the, you know, the, the elders and the digital natives who, um, I have a good friend who, uh, who is Native American and his, his joking tongue in cheek uh, description of this era is he says that, um, Technology is great spirit's way of saying, listen to the children. I mean, we all know that we need our kids mm, to help us nice. program the TV, or I can't even turn my TV on without my kids. <laughs> um, and, and yet, so, so it's about the great equalizer, the level playing field of coming together with the same purpose, with different gifts, and laying them all out on, on the table in, a, in an interactive and um, hopefully deeply contemplative experience, even right there at the workshop, not talking about it, but actually experiencing it. Yeah. I love how you describe companioning the companions. Because uh, the, the way that I sort of work to distill spiritual companionship is just providing deep listening. And, you know, so spiritual directors provide deep listening to, uh, to their clients or their directees or whoever. Um, in terms of helping them discern intimacy with the divine, um, but we can apply spiritual companionship in a myriad of ways. We can think of companioning the land. Um, we can think of organizations as living beings. Uh, and so the ways that you talk about contemplative life being friends with SDI, like we are sort of co-companioning one another in our work. Um, 
And I just, I just think that's really beautiful and exciting for me to, to think about. Um, so you talked about practice and I love giving people opportunities for practice as part of this podcast. And I, I'm hoping that you have something that, that we can do sort of briefly, uh, together as a way to uh, kind of share space together to share to share pause well um that's that's what we do and so thank you for the invitation to have that at the end of this and in reflecting on the things that we talked about you never know what's going to come up during a call like this because it's very fluid and kind of inspirational and but brother wayne teasdale has come up numerous times. And so I thought, well, maybe what we can do, I've got a, a recording of a short practice that he leads. And so we could have that for our closing practice. That's, that's magical. Uh, Brother Wayne Teasdale is going to be part of this podcast episode. Which, uh... Hey, we're, we're building bridges from here and beyond. <laughs> his, his, uh... His, he may have left the body, but his spirit is alive and well, and his work continues in this interspiritual movement. He is very much present, and how perfect to share in his voice uh, from, from the great beyond. Yeah, yeah. No, it would be an honor. I would love to hear. So, Jeff, go mm -hmm. ahead. Take it away. There you go. This is a very simple exercise, and it requires us to realize that God is always now. The divine presence is in the now. I think it's so important to realize that, that God is now, no matter how we experience the divine, whether in ourselves, in itself, in nature, in others, in the sacramental life, in ritual, or community. It is that now quality which allows the divine to manifest itself to us. So take some very deep breaths and breathe in the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and infinite understanding, spirit of love, of community, the spirit of the divine presence. Breathe that in deeply. Allow yourself then to let go of everything, all your worries, all your ambitions, your joys and sorrows and everything that has been on your mind today. Let it go and just dwell in the present moment. For that moment is the divine presence to you. And focus your intention to give yourself to this presence, to the eternal now, by using this phrase, O divine presence, I am totally with you now. O Divine Presence, I am totally with you now. Now if you're 
troubled by thoughts, if they're becoming preoccupations, you're being overwhelmed by them or sensations in your body or itches or noise outside of you. Simply gently go back to this powerful phrase, O Divine Presence, I am with you now.
Now just very gently come out of this exercise in being present to God and slowly open your eyes. Jeff Gang and Kate Sheehan Roach of Contemplative Life. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others. (laughs) 